Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Are you ready? Yeah! Are you ready? where people gather around a table and they talk about movies in a film scholarly sort of way, but these movies will never find their way into a film studies course syllabus. Not typically. Not typically. This week's film is a movie you may have heard of, Aliens, the sequel to Alien. Turns out there's more of them, and hence the plurality. <laughs> it's a very important distinction. And so we'll be looking at that here in just a few moments. Before we do that, we need to introduce everyone around the table. We have a new-ish voice uh, back from the Harry Potter episode and uh, soon to be a frequent contributor to the show. Could you introduce yourself, young lady? Yes, my name is Alexandra Bohannon. I'm a graduate student at the University of Oklahoma studying political science, uh, public administration. So fancy. Fancy. So much jargon, too, but that's okay. And I am a recent graduate of the University of uh, Central Oklahoma with a degree in English. So I can be critical on things of a filmy t nature. Absolutely, and we're so glad that you're here. To my left, regular co-host. Regular. <laughs> Regular. My name is Dalton Stewart. And Frequent. D Dustin, I have. My name is Dalton Stewart. And Dustin, I, I have but one question for you. How do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? <laughs> um, for those of you just now tuning in, because we're noticing a lot of new listeners, um, I have a degree in sociology, so I'm basically not qualified to talk about movies at all, in so much as that I. I just like them a whole lot, and you know I've always thought critically about things, and that's what my background is. So enjoy that. Excellent, excellent. My name is Dustin Sells, and all I want to say is that it's going to be game over, man. Game yeah. over. Game over, man. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Paxton is out of control in this movie. Yeah, he's funny. Oh, my, no, like, not in a good way. Like, he is, <laughs> I've forgotten, like... He's, like, the only thing I like. Jimmy Cameron should have reeled his ass in. I mm. love Bill Paxton, but there's a couple of beats in this movie where I'm just like, ah, oh, Bill, 
Knock it off. He just pops out of nowhere. Man! Yeah, he's, he's such a douchebag in this movie. <laughs> and since we're doing resumes, I am a one hour away from finally graduating from the University of Central Oklahoma with a master's degree in uh, film studies. And then this January, I've been accepted to start at Oklahoma State University for a PhD. PhD! In, yeah. In screen intense. studies. <laughs> and we're so glad to be here with, a, again, uh, we're so glad to have Alex on as a regular contributor and token female because we need a little more estrogen up in this room. Yeah, it, it turns out you're kind of spoiled for choice when it turn, comes to white guys talking about movies on the internet. <laughs> really, really not exactly uh, lacking there, so... As long other than the fact we're tired of... Me and Dustin Arthur are tired of looking at each other and we needed fresh blood, hence all of Nick showing up. We needed more variety. As long it, as you guys have fedoras to tip, no, you'll no, be... No, uh, Hey, okay. <laughs> but Dear as a, listener, if you've ever worn a fedora, <laughs> don't tell anyone. Stop immediately. I'm doing this as your friend. Quit it. As it turns out, half the human population is female. So we are glad to have a little bit closer to some sort of representation there. Although we're all quite Anglo. so we'll need Yeah, to, I was actually just thinking. Yeah. I, I'm going to convert to black later. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. Is it not? Oh. No, no, uh, actually. Okay. I tried. <laughs> Let me look into that. Alright, well let's talk about this movie. What we're going to do now is we're going to do a quick review, but this ain't a review show, dear listener. This is an analysis show. So we'll give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down, what works, what doesn't work about the film, and then we'll move on into spoilerific spoiler territory in which we do our analysis. But in case you haven't seen the movie and do want to just get that sort of feel as to whether or not your hosts have opinions which you respect and they can help dissuade or persuade you to see the film, you can hear that and then pause said podcast and come right on back. But we got to begin, though, with synopsis, with the voice of the Dollar Theater, Mr. Dalton Stewart, if that, you would. That's sir. right. You, you may have noticed that Arthur is still absent. Um, he has not been released from protective custody just yet. He is still being relocated. Uh, from his villainous volcano, uh, from the space station, and last we heard, he was in some sort of bayou uh, shack along the banks of the Mississippi. So, that's what's going on with Arthur, so you get treated to my dulcet tones this time. The planet from Alien has been colonized, but contact is lost. This time, the rescue team has impressive firepower, but will it be enough? Spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. Correct, correct. Thank you very much. All right, let's just go around the table now and let's talk about whether this thing works for us. Thumbs up, thumbs down, and all that good stuff. Uh, I ask you first, Alex, what do you say? I will say, gosh, I wish thumbs up and thumbs down are so definitive. I wish there's a thumb sideways because... Oh, we use that. Okay, yeah. oh, I'm yeah, glad we, there is that. Yeah, we cheat all the time. And we make up like a trash can scale of arbitrary numbers. Okay, arbitrary numbers. It... It works on the level that I'm sure whenever it came out, it was setting a whole bunch of tropes into place. But now as you watch it retroactively, it it feels really, really, well, not just dated, but it feels just predictable to the max. This is, I mean, it's been so influential, especially to video games. Oh, I mean, if yeah. you played a video game in the last five years, you've seen Aliens. I mean, yeah. it's <laughs> definitely one of those films that... It is more, I agree, watchable in, in terms of its historical context and its influence, for sure. Right. And I wasn't, I was expecting more gross out after, you know, reading things and the first alien and the not quite 
prequel Prometheus, but it was actually felt a lot more actiony to me, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Alex. I appreciate those opinions. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? Well, as you may or may not remember from last week, this is my hosty host pick. Um, so obviously I like aliens a lot. Uh, objectively, I, I can appreciate that it's probably more of a, you know, 30 out of 36 trash cans. I get that. That being said, listener, I adore this movie. <laughs> I love this movie. I love Alien as a franchise. And more than anything, I love aliens, plural, because it's just so great. So, so super awesomely wonderful, and I just can't say enough awesome things about it. That's really it. I mean, I, I don't know which one. Michael Bean, Kyle Reese, fights aliens with Sigourney Weaver. It's the coolest thing in the world. Ghostbuster meets Terminator. Guys, I mean, it's a good time. Guys, Sigourney Weaver duct tapes a flamethrower to an assault rifle and goes and saves a little girl. And then she fights the queen in a walking forklift I don't what more do you want out of your life is Alien a better film maybe yes do I like aliens better than Alien yes I will pick to I will choose to watch Aliens over Alien a hundred times and I love Alien don't get me wrong I don't want you to misunderstand this because Dustin's giving me that look he gives me when I say (laughs) something that he doesn't like I just love aliens that much. I wrote a note, by the way, listener, and I couldn't figure out what it meant for a second. Um, there's this thing that aliens does, just short of all the praise I've heaped upon it, there's this really interesting thing that it does uh, where we get to see Ellen post-alien defending her actions in Alien, which is something we never get. Alien ends fairly similarly to a lot of horror films in which our protagonist blows something very expensive up to save himself, and we never get the insurance claim fiasco after that. I think it's really interesting that we get that in Aliens, where she's like, well, yeah, I totally did blow that up, and here's why. And then nobody believes her, because that's what happens when you survive a horror thing. Here's what I'm saying, dear listener. Every horror film where it's a monster and not a person stabbing people, every horror film should have a sequel where a bunch of army guys get their asses handed to them by the scary thing. That's what I'm saying. All right, well, I will appreciate that recommendation. We know Hollywood is paying close close attention, and we hope they take that into account. Uh, What I would say about the film is that it is too long. It is... Yes, oh my gosh, yes. I'm so sorry, a thousand times yes. (laughs) There is basically the first 40 minutes in which there is a setup and interesting characters sort of being developed, and then there's an hour of very well-edited, very stylistically put-together camera work, of action sequence after action sequence after Sigourney Weaver kind of weepy yelling and then action sequence and then more weepy yelling and then action sequence and then more weepy yelling. And that's all that happens the last hour and a half, two hours of the movie. Dustin and I were talking about this uh, before air. Alex, we didn't actually get a chance to talk to you about it. Do you Did you watch the director's cut or the theatrical cut? I, I'm really not sure. I rented it on Amazon. For two ninety nine, so it was whatever version that was. Was there a scene at the very beginning of the colonists uh, driving up to the spaceship with like the children in their little? No, the first thing was Sigourney Weaver covered in like ice glitter in her sleep pod. Pri- and... Prior to the Marines showing up on the colony, do you have? Is there a scene of the colony where people are like running around doing colony type shit? I don't remember that at okay, all. Okay, probably not. Then. Um. It, I will and agree. even then, it's too long. And even then, it's, it might be too long. I, if you 
watched the director's cut, I will agree that that plays way too long for the uninitiated. Um, Dustin wasn't wild about this film to begin with, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. Um, The director's cut plays long even for me, and I love the film. I will defend the length by saying that it does what Alien does, where nothing happens. And what House of the Devil did, a film we've talked about how much we love here, and the mm-hmm. thing I like when movies do, is nothing happens. But you know in the back of your mind that soon, soon, something bad is going to happen. And when it does, it's awful. And I love that. I love it when a film does that. I will agree. The director's cut plays a little long. And yeah, there's some cool moments in there that I think are nice, but... It, there's more than is necessary. So I will agree with that statement. And the extent. other problem I have with the movie is just, I feel like Sigourney Weaver's wasted. I mean, they, they turn her into an action figure, and uh, she has much more range and ability, and there were possibilities where they could start talking about the trauma. When that, that beginning scene opens up with the nightmare, there could have been extended periods of time where, where she's really dealing with what she just lived through but she immediately calcifies and fossilizes and just gets hard and cold and too soon far far too I couldn't soon. believe they sent her back in there and that she said mm-hmm. yes well she was starving and she was sick of running a forklift no she believed in the destruction of these vile creatures which Paul Reiser refused to allow to happen yeah that's before he was a nice guy and met Helen Hunt but Paul we- Reiser usually playing a jerk yes so there you go, dear listener. I would give it three and a half out of five possible trash cans. Like a fool. So I like it. Sort of I don't love it, is all I'm trying to say. So let's move on, though. And we've done some fun stuff here with reviews, but this is not what we're here to do anyway. Let's bring some analysis to the table. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you got, sir? Well, Dustin, last week when we did The Dark Knight, we intentionally said we're not going to do 9-11 analysis. Coming into this, we didn't have any rules for our analysis, but I made a rule for myself. A lot has been talked about with depictions of masculinity as basically being an outdated and really stupid thing that gets people hurt. Um, a lot has also been said about non-traditional family structures and people bonding together and choosing to be a family and mothers and daughters. I mean, there's this huge, really kind of awesome parallel between the alien queen and her children and Ripley taking on Newt as the surrogate daughter after basically having been asleep for her daughter's entire life. And there was a lot of really smart things that have been said about that uh, by people that are far smarter than I am. So you should go read all of those things. And I, and I chose not to say anything about those things, although I think they're all really interesting and there's a lot of good stuff there uh, to look at and to discover. Uh, I, again, um, did a thing I've been doing surprisingly quite a bit lately, and I kind of chose to take a really kind of philosophical, uh, existential look at Aliens as a film. Much as in life, I kind of basically watched Aliens, and the more I got into the film, again, because I've, I, despite my love of it, I actually haven't seen it in probably five years. I mean, it's been a while since I watched it all the way through. Um, the thing that I found myself thinking about was Aliens as a mirror for life. For the first bit, nothing really happens. Uh, you're just kind of hanging around and learning the rules of the universe uh, and learning what's expected of you and what people want you to do. Um, and kind of getting a feel for things and then you kind of figure out what you're going to do and then you set out to do it and then bad shit starts happening and it keeps happening and then it keeps happening and then more bad stuff keeps happening and then another bad thing happens and then finally if you're lucky you might survive and build a bond with some people and then you die or you go to sleep and that's essentially what happens in Aliens Sigourney Weaver gets woken up 
she's born, essentially, anew from the last film. Has all these rules thrown at her. Learns all the things that have happened while she's been gone. Um, goes in to do a job. A very simple job on paper. And it turns out to be the most horrifying thing that could possibly happen. And it's just bat crap crazy from start to finish. <laughs> and then nothing good happens. Nothing good happens in this movie. Every time they have a plan. Every time. It falls apart horribly. And I love that about this movie so much. I don't know why. I don't know if that makes me a crazy person. I, I think it's fun for a movie to do that, though. I don't... A lot of movies, the characters have one plan to get out of this bad situation. And in Aliens, we see about four or five different plans, and they all fall apart. Because the best laid plans mean nothing when you are met with a force that doesn't really care about your plans. In this movie, the Xenomorphs in life, life. So that's really what I took away from, from Aliens, this, this viewing of it. And, I, and I, that was something that I had never really considered while watching this film that I've, I've seen a lot. Um, the, the last thing I want to say, just to put a pin in this whole conversation, or at least my side of it, um, is, is thinking about Aliens in, in terms of Jim Cameron's filmography. And me and Dustin talked a little bit about this off air. Um, Alien was released at a point in James Cameron's career before he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. Um, you know, you get to Titanic and Avatar, the man's making three-hour films, and nobody seems to care how long the movie is. This was made at a point where he was forced to make cuts to his film. And I think we get, uh, and I get, I think the theatrical cut is stronger. Uh, there are things I like about the director's cut quite a bit, but I think the theatrical cut is probably a stronger film because it's, it's neater and it's leaner. Um, and, and I think it's just interesting to see that as a, an arc of a filmmaker's career where they um, start to gain so much freedom that it's actually detrimental to their work. Which is not something that necessarily happens with all filmmakers, but I think it certainly happened for Jim's, Cam Jim's Cameron. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever. And uh, I think it's happened to some other filmmakers uh, along the way. Uh, Lucas is another one that comes to mind almost mm. immediately. Um, the final thing I want to say. Before you get to that, I would just say that uh, absolutely barriers and obstacles are a fountain of creativity because then you have to find your way to work around it and you engage those creative parts of your mind. Kevin Smith. And, yeah. I mean, just in terms of, yeah, directors who had to work really hard and um, figure out how to do things, Rod Rodriguez, I mean, and then they get a little bit too much freedom and, and then things kind of go sideways for them a little bit um, in terms of the quality of their output. Uh, the final thing I want to say is listener I want you to think back to, to watching Aliens and I want you to think about the scene close your eyes co-hosts visualize with me uh, the, the marines have entered the alien hive and we're getting a lot of oh something bad's gonna happen the cameras are getting all staticky and they find out they can't use their guns or they're gonna set off a nuclear reaction um, and then we get an establishing shot of this hallway and it holds for a really long time and then the wall moves and there's an alien there, and it's awesome. It's creepy. And then it happens again, and no matter how many times I've watched this film, it still surprises me. Um, one of the female Marines, who I don't, I don't know if she has a name or not, the one that's not the badass. Oh. Um, whose name I also can't think of. Jeez. Uh, Vasquez. Va Vasquez. Is, yeah. Uh, the one that's not Vasquez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, she's standing talking to one of the other Marines, and the wall behind her turns out to be an alien, and I. It gets me every time, and it's just absolutely fabulous. So, go watch Aliens. What are you doing? Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, for that existential reading of that film. Uh, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what have you to say? 
All right. Um, whereas Dalton had a kind of lofty view of the whole series, very existential, philosophical, I'd like to talk about character structure and character development a little bit in the, in the film. I have to admit, dear listener, that I came to this film having never seen it before. I actually haven't even seen the first Alien movie. I've seen Prometheus, so I know the gist, and I know it's not a true prequel. We've talked about this. But I will say that coming to it with a fresh eyes, I was I was interested to see all the filmmaker kind of shortcuts that he used in making these characters. Whenever he the screenwriter it wasn't james cameron that wrote the screenplay i want to say yes i think so i i would yeah that it earlier. is written and directed by james cameron okay. i think about it so when james cameron wrote the screenplay he made a whole bunch of characters that were basically just like keyboard shortcuts for your brain that you can look at them and know well that is the drill sergeant black you know captain that is the token he, he's, BA he's girl. sassy and he chomps cigars he must be in charge yeah i was surprised they're smoking in space but whatever um <laughs> i was very surprised but that is a surprising thing right um you know the 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 schmaltzy kind of you know jackass character the um you know the bad girl the funny guy. Was there a British guy? I thought I heard a weird accent at some point when they were, like, emerging from cryosleep. No, but I feel like the lieutenant kind of carries on that role that, you know, if there was somebody with a British accent, the lieutenant is basically... Very, he's got a corn cob. He's, he's very feeble and inept. I feel like he would be the British character right. if there was one. <laughs> okay, so he uses all these characters, so you know what they immediately are all about, and then you know that they're all gonna die and you're okay with that and that's kind of an easy way in such an extended long movie to convey these messages to the to the viewer so that they don't have to i don't know work as hard and i mean there's it's two hours it's a long movie spoon feeding yeah i mean it's a lot easier to make these tropes and then have them carried out Whereas, you know, giving each little soldier a backstory to make them really deep invested. And then, you know, when they die, you might be a little more attached to them. But they just felt like cannon fodder to me. Um, just space marines. Well, they, and they really are. I mean, there's only uh, Vasquez, um, Hicks, and... Um, whatever Michael Bean. What, Hicks is Michael Bean. And whatever oh. Bill Paxton's character's name is. You're right. Other than the three of them, and they're the only ones with really anything resembling character development, the rest of them are killed off very quickly. Yeah. yeah. You're not wrong, for sure. And then I uh, a couple more notes, another character type note. I was interested to note that James Cameron, who did Terminator 2 and doing Alien 2, he has a thing with distressed female protagonists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. In sequel movies, specifically, which yeah. is really interesting. It, it's just an um, um, interesting mechanism, I guess, at getting more interest in it. What do you guys think? Why would he use that vehicle, not being as adept in the Aliens universe or Terminator universe? Probably because his wife is such a badass, or his ex-wife is such a badass. Um, it, it's, it's interesting to me. Uh, because Catherine Bigelow has gone on to have this career as an action director, and a lot of James Cameron's films focus on women either being badass or learning to be badass. Throughout Terminator 1 and 2, 
um, Sarah Connor uh, is I basically I mean there are Sarah Connor and Ellen Ripley are in a lot of ways the same character mm-hmm. in the first one they're scared out of their mind and they have to figure out what they're going to do uh, to protect themselves in the second one they're responsible for a child either their child or their surrogate child and they tough up real fast um, and in Terminator 2 we see it happens off screen it happens between films um, and I think it is very interesting and True Lies we get a little bit of that with um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character with Titanic uh, Rose kind of has a, a similar character arc of learning to accept herself and embrace herself and be a more independent person I, I think it's something he's really interested in um, and, and again speaking of his, his ex-wife uh, Catherine Bigelow who made Zero Dark Thirty I mean, Jessica Chastain's character in that film is is a James Cameron character. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she has got a lot of shades. If Zero Dark Thirty was made in the early nineties, it would been she would have been Jessica Chastain's character would have been played by Linda Hamilton. I mean, it's spot on. There's a shot of Jessica Chastain uh, wearing some Ray Ban aviators at one point. No way. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of looking on at the Navy SEALs, like ready, waiting, watching them get prepped for um, the mission. And I mean, it is spot on, and they're in the desert, so it's very reminiscent of, of a shot from Terminator Two. So I find that Alex, just to get, to put a pin in it, you're very right. There is something very interesting going on there, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. But uh, I think it is fascinating. I think the other thing at play, giving a meta reading, you mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies, and she, of course, uh, begins her career with a film called Halloween. And there is this thing called the Final Girl, yeah. which is why you're here, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this, there's again a big film trope of there has to be this character that suffers and is punished, and she's always female, and that she somehow uh, usually makes it at the end, although it's not necessarily always the case, depending on the film. See Cabin in the Woods for more. Yeah, uh, it references oh. on, on, on all of that, and so I think that's a big part of what's going on also with it. Yeah. And I also read on the Wikipedia page, I just, I plunged myself into the wiki this afternoon because I really wanted to understand a lot mm. of some things that I might have missed. There's a lot going on, a lot of mythology in the franchise. Right. If you don't know, it can be dense and it, it can either enhance or diminish your viewing by everywhere. Yeah. And I read that either in the first Alien or Aliens that the screenwriter wrote each character to where they could go the gender swapped way. So Ridley could be a man or a female, like kind of like uh, Mass Effect where Shepard can be Finn Shep or regular Shep and, you know, the same storyline, but maybe different love interests. Every single, you're absolutely 100% correct. Yeah, I, and that's something I find very interesting. And I was impressed with that, you know. Specifically set out to have a gender neutral cast and to cast whoever was good in the role. And I think that is a really interesting thing, a really interesting choice uh, that, and I forget who wrote the original Alien. Uh, David O. Bannon. Bannon. David Thank O. Bannon. You. Thank you. Um, and you know, then when uh, Ridley Scott set out to make that film, they kind of, as they went, just figured out who was going to be what gender. And I think that is very fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. You you said smart things that I totally concur with. Right. I have one. It's a really really short bit. Um, it's about the representation of corporate interest as demonstrated through the android characters. I know in the first movie, the android Ash betrays... Evil Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, yeah, he... (laughs) Evil Bilbo Baggins. Wow. He betrays the whole ship and then things go south. And then in this one, you know, they have this android, of course she's distrusting from the very get-go. He looks 
evil to me, and I'm like, oh, he's totally going to betray them. But then by the end, you know, he saves the day, gets torn in half, etc. I love Lance Henriksen. Yeah, he, he was in great. all the things. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I was interested in the white goo. I guess they had to put some kind of goo Milk in Milk blood. Milk blood, okay. Anyway, it so... It really was milk in the first Alien. Yeah, it started to sour between setups because of the state or the lighting. The face, Alexander just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's golden. I real, just can't deal with old milkman. Real just talk, gross. guys. <laughs> real talk. Making movies is hard. <laughs> it's hard. No matter right. what we say, disparaging about a film, never forget that making movies is hard ass work. It is work. hard. Um, but I would like to note that while I was like, oh man, so this this guy is sponsored by the corporation. He is a good guy, and, and it, so it shows that corporations are good people, and they can do good things, but he dies and is deceased. So to me, that represented, you know, the evolution of maybe corporations are evil, but they can do good things too, but it's the death of good but things Paul can I- be done by... But then Paul Reiser's there being a huge douchebag, so... Right. But the six of one. Yeah. I agree, though, that I love... And Lance Henriksen shows up a lot more uh, throughout the franchise, reprising his character in one shape or another, and yeah, I love that character. I think Bishop's one of the best characters in all of science fiction. Yeah. The name of Bishop, that was pretty good, you know, he's like, oh, he's a good guy. Well, Dustin Sells, yeah. what, what, what's your brain thinking? Well, you know, I, I'm always thinking about how um, corporations, if they are persons, would be um, sociopaths. But I'm not doing that. Thank you for this, not going that yeah. direction. That would be a soapbox. <laughs> we wouldn't want to get on with me. <laughs> I mean, we've already, we, we did that with Event Horizon and a lot of movies. Yeah, let's, let's not go through Dustin, this. you and me have both done that a lot in yeah. the course of this show. Because <laughs> it happens in the movies quite a bit yeah. because it's true. Moving right along, I do want to talk about this film, and I want to present sort of a theory. I want to piggyback something that someone else thought. Jet Lo, um, who you probably don't know, is another fellow podcaster on a podcast called The Film Talk with a, a, another writer, an Irish PhD in uh, cinema studies called Gareth Higgins. That's and a good show. It is a good show. And uh, if you listen to that show, what you'll need to know is Jet is Dalton and I am Gareth. Okay. That about covers it, yeah. I, I think that and it actually co- covers our relationship almost entirely. But uh, and I was listening to Jet talk about Transformers 4. The extinction of cinema. Or Transformers, if you will. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brother. My, my soul just died a little. But he was talking about sort of the moral reprehensibility of the characters in the universe they live in in the world of Transformers and the, the sort of... Uh, this sort of uh, Chinese propaganda that's working on uh, throughout the film and also some awful things as far as the treatment of prisoners and of slaves that happens uh, the way the film set up it would be a terrible movie for children if it actually was for children it's actually for stupid adults but I digress there but he goes on to talk about how the, the world that Michael Bay and the rest of the filmmakers of Transformers 4 and the rest of their ilk come from is like this dark skewed parallel universe and they've somehow found their way into our world and are making these movies this dark universe in which Charles Lindbergh became president and the German Nazis actually won the war and slavery stayed in place in the south and all these sort of ugly terrible tropes and I think about early Cameron as pretty much just that that he is a mm. filmmaker from this parallel dimension. That's the theory I want to go with. In which everything that could possibly have gone wrong in the progress of society had indeed gone wrong. Yeah, I get what you're... Okay. Can we talk for a moment about the gun worship? 
just, just, just for a second, can we talk about... Her god was this big. It was, it was... It was so big. I was jealous. It was so big. And not only that, the spaceship looks like a gun. The love scene between Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean, Kyle Reese, is how he explains how to use a gun for crying out loud. Can we fetishize the weapon just a little more, please? And not only that, this sort of a corporate greed that we just talked about a minute where these corporations basically run the world that what fascism gave way to was plutocracy and, uh, again, to this sort of... Uh, autocratic corporate system and so exactly the the Whalen with uh, Yutani corporation are doing just that the actual Paul Reiser actually says to Michael Bean you're just a grunt humans don't say that humans didn't even say that in the 80s but I think at some point James Cameron traveled in the early 70s, late 70s, out of that crazy, weird, dark universe where everything... The darkest timeline, if you will. The darkest timeline. And came into our world and started making these terribly bad films. Uh, no, not, not bad. They're, they're great. They're well-paced. They're well-edited. They're, they're shot magnificently. But they're, they're, they're lots and lots and lots and loads of fun. But they're morally reprehensible. Sigourney Weaver, again, her character as Ellen Ripley, what she's got to do is deny all that makes her feminine, all that makes her interesting, and become cold and hard and callous. And oh, I'm sorry. Are you forgetting that scene where she's a beautiful, loving surrogate mother? Uh, no, because she's just... God, we so disagree. We she's disagree doing like the John Wayne thing and getting the girl from The Searchers all over again. Nonsense. I mean, it's precisely the plot of The Searchers. She is John Wayne. She mothers up. She loses her daughter through terrible circumstances and realizes that she has this one chance to redeem herself and chooses to go about it in such a way that, yes, she does have to become a badass, but it is all about defending this child and preserving this child's innocence as best as she can. You're wrong. Well, it continues to also communicate the uh, narrative well, so, and masculine myth that the only way to solve any problem is with violence and extreme violence at that. Now, that's not incorrect. And then the nukes that are being recommended by Miss Ellen Ripley because she ceases to be female in any way. It's much less interesting than what happens in Aliens or the preceding Alien, or Alien 3, excuse me, or the preceding Alien. And so... I think you're I, the only person to say that Alien 3 is more interesting film than Aliens. It's ever. by, to me, by far more interesting. And it's alright. I actually think, I like a lot of things about Alien 3. Not the least of which because as a director, <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> there is that. So um, what I want to think about is how he... And now, I think something happened to James Cameron. I think he came through the wormhole earlier than Michael Bay. And so by the time we're getting to Avatar, at least it's sort of dancing with Blue Pocahontas and Fern Gully. And so there is something about the message where he seems to have lived amongst us. He's picked up some of our bad, backward, or in our case, progressive habits. And so I see some sort of transition happening, at least for him, eventually. I think you said some good things about what Terminator 2 means. It's yeah, been a while since we recorded. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely diametrically opposed to the, uh, the Terminator. But again, the solution is violence. Again, the solution is, is to defeminize the woman. And uh, it's it's unfortunate, I, I think, in that way. And gun worship, again, again, he he pulls out the Tommy gun and he winks. The the, the the stinking robot winks when he gets a gun. The robot's not supposed to wink. That's what I mean by gun worship, because everybody knows what's going on there. It, it, it's it's as if the NRA was running the world. That's what I'm talking about. 
and uh, and that's what the future being uh, supposed by aliens seems to suppose. And uh, but again, luckily he's lived amongst us long enough. We've begun to civilize him, and that's probably a good thing. Oh, Dustin, you ignorant slut! <laughs> Did you have a follow up there? I'm actually kind of curious. I will say this, and only this is a follow up, and we'll just leave it at that. It's been a long time since we disagreed like this. I love it. Um, I'll say this and only this. The hardcore, masculine, macho, gun-toting Marines, for all of their salty doggedness, go into the alien hive and are killed by a bunch of penis-shaped monsters. So I think it might be a little bit more complicated than you're giving it credit for. I think some of your concerns with the film and with uh, some other James Cameron films might be valid to some extent, but uh, you're wrong. So <laughs> I'm valid, but I'm wrong. Well, I appreciate yeah. I see where you're coming from, but you're totally <laughs> in- incorrect. I will have to note, I did make this... I saw this during the film, and I was just like, what? Considering the setting is supposed to be 21-something... Yeah, 20XXX. It okay. doesn't matter. Yeah. And we are supposed to be in a much more progressive society. As soon as they become out of the cryosleep, you know, Miss Vasquez, she's just doing pull-ups and she's just having a great time. Such and then, badass. and then she come, then one of her bros comes over and is like, "Hey, are you like a dude or whatever?" And she's like, "I don't know. You might be a girl." You know, there's this exchange about what it means to be female or male. It's very and like, room. wait, yeah. why are we not post gender here well, at this on. point? I, I, the only defense I have for that is that Alien, for, as a franchise, definitely takes place in a dystopia. I mean. Wayland Utani basically runs the universe, we find out as we go further into the franchise. Hence the dark world. Yeah, exactly. The darkest timeline. And that, I, I, I mean, I think a lot of things Dustin said are, well, keep in mind, this movie's definitely supposed to be a dystopia. But uh, you're wrong, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I made Dalton's heart set. I can uh, see what's going on. Let's, let's move on. Uh, dear listener, we thank you for listening so far. But now comes the point in the show... Where we must choose. You must choose. But choose wisely. Will we go back to the hive and rescue this film? Shall we shelf it or trash it? If we shelf it, what else? If we trash it, what instead? I ask you, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Oh gosh. I'm sorry, Dalton, it's but okay. it goes in the trash. It's okay. I know I will never probably watch this movie again. It was a ride. There were some great scenes, and I love being able to see the scenes that I know are iconic. Sigourney Weaver and the human forklift, the blowing up the egg sack, and all of this stuff that I know is famous, famous, famous stuff. But I could watch a YouTube video that's five minutes long that has all of those famous (laughs) clips in it. And that's not a good reason to watch a movie. And not deal with all the crappy, crappy pacing. There's so much stuff in that maniacs. movie. I understand. It's it's hard to kill your darlings, uh, but this yeah, is not one of my darlings. That's fine. I get it. Yeah. So what instead should we watch? Instead, I don't have a watch, but I will... You could watch it, I guess. You could play Half-Life. Half-Life, I feel like, does this it better, almost. It's got the Space Marines. That's a good else or instead, honestly. Yeah. yeah. It's got the Space Marines. It's got the space the face huggers. It's got the aliens that are trying to kill you. But I find that 
Gordon Freeman as a protag, it, it seems even more interesting because he's a scientist. Like, he's armed with only a crowbar. He doesn't get a gun until way late in the game. And it's just like, oh my, a gun. Oh my, a grenade. I have to do pull-ups on a giant <laughs> ladder and save scientists and things like that. And then this, you know, spoilers. Dustin's oh, shaking his head because he doesn't play video the games. The space marines, they're not your friends. They're coming to kill you and the aliens. What's going to happen now? So I would encourage you... If you don't have Half-Life, it's on Steam. If you want to rather watch a playthrough of Half-Life, they're all over YouTube. So check out the Half-Life series. There's a there's two and two and a half. Isn't there a half yeah, in there? There's a, yeah, three eventually. If you three. In, three eventually. If all praise game. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Alex. I think you just established your legit credentials with our listenership. So, well played and well done. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Shelter trash, else, or instead? What do you think? <laughs> so, Letterboxd has this feature where you can uh, display your top four favorite films uh, at the top of your Letterboxd profile. And Aliens was on mine as one of mine for a long time. I just recently mixed it up just to be like, these are four other films I also love without question. So... I like it. I'm sorry. You know, you guys are both wrong. I can't. I can't help anything about that. <laughs> I, I just. I can't. I'm not used to being outgunned like this. Normally, it's me and Arthur teaming up on Dustin. Now I know how Dustin always feels. Um, I, I would also say uh, to watch else with this. Um, I could have said Dog Soldiers, but I've talked about that movie more than I really should on this this show. Um, so instead, I, I went with a film where we see just how bleak life can be. Uh, and we see how difficult parenthood can be in such a situation. I went with uh, The Road, uh, oh. based on the Cormac McCarthy novel, uh, starring Viggo Mortensen, and that one little kid that was in a lot of stuff for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so go check that out. I like The Road a whole lot. Um, definitely not a, 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 you know, having a fun, sunshiny day watch. Um, bleak movie, so strap in. It's a late show. I mean, it's not fun. Uh, but it's a really, really good film. Mm. Uh, for sure. And uh, one of the probably the most stark apocalypse movies ever kind of uh, really made me want to see the rover when i saw the rover because it looks like the road but with more sunshine in australia Mm. but yeah never got around to that so go watch the road i like that movie a lot so dustin we come to you show for trash elsewhere instead so i'm gonna make a middling answer that's fine if you were out and about and you don't own any alien films at all with the franchise you should buy well, really, any of the rest of them before this one. Including Alien Resurrection. I do like Alien Resurrection a lot more than most people. And I, I mean, I like it quite a lot. Although, the time I did watch it in the theater, um, I was in high school working at said theater. I went in for the very, very late show, and I had to leave early because the person behind me overdosed on drugs, and I had to escort him vomiting out of the theater. Carnegie, so I, Oklahoma, ladies so and gentlemen. So I actually kind of wore a little of the alien filth as I was oh, experiencing. My. Is that the only time you've ever seen it? Uh, I've seen a bit of the end since. So I don't quite have it all put together, but my experience was still quite a lot of fun. Uh, What I would say then, um, what you should watch instead, and I do mean instead, is you should watch Starship Troopers. Because like like the criticism, and I I think rightly... I think I might actually like Starship Troopers more than I like Aliens, to be perfectly honest. There is this sort of um, um, critique of the corporate world that, that is being made by aliens, and we need to give Cameron credit for that. Because uh, Waylon Yakutomi is... 
Yeah, no, yeah. that's that. Oh my god! If only, if only Waylon Nakatomi. Waylon uh, Yutani. Uh, clearly evil. Clearly evil, and clearly that's what we we're supposed to think of it. But there still seems to be this corporate state that has created this sort of militarized society that is very, very unfortunate. Um, that's going on in the film. Starship Troopers definitely managed to drive the nail on the head about that satirical expose of that sort of culture, of propaganda culture, and to really think about that sort of gun culture that's tied up in the Marines of Aliens and do something, I think, a lot more interesting. And let's be honest, Starship Troopers, if nothing else, is infinitely fascinating for being the biggest switch in... uh, Ideology from source material to adaptation, probably ever. Cause awesome. Yeah. And Verhoeven. Get it, Paul Verhoeven. Get it. <clears throat> That's right. You know, nobody knows how evil fascism is like a German. Well, guys, I look now and I realize we're done with this and we need to move on and talk about how this conversation can keep on going via that magical means available to us all in the age of the interwebs. I'm talking about social media. And so we're going to begin with a little feedback from um, Mr. Dalton Stewart, if he has any, and a, a description of a social media means by which we might be available. Well, Dustin, I'll, I'll say this. Twitter is probably the only place you'll find yourself where the only weapon you have at your disposal is harsh language. And that's okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we can be found on Twitter at good underscore trash. There's not a lot of monologues in this film for me to riff on, so... I just went with one of my favorite lines. That's because writing. That's such a funny line, by the way. Such a great line. If you want us to use harsh language, Mm -hmm. perfect. Perfect line. So we had lots and lots and lots of retweets and favorites, and they were all magnificent, and it made me really happy. Um, But we actually did get a little bit of feedback this week. Proper feedback. Responding feedback. Indeed. Quite right. Brad Leperson chimed in, thank you Bradley, uh, and said, Rules don't apply to me. Watch Fight Club, then watch The Matrix, then rethink Fight Club as a part of the Matrix universe. Uh, Thanks, Brad. Thanks for doing what I couldn't. Um, Secondly, he also said, hashtag fired up, at We're Alive is ending soon. Started Night Vale Radio, which is the Twitter uh, handle for Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, he started Night Vale as his new podcast, Radio Drama. Thanks for the suggestion, which came from Dustin. Hashtag hooked. So I don't know what We're Alive is, but presumably it is also a radio drama. Um, oh, I do know about this, actually. Uh, it is a story of survival in a zombie apocalypse done in a radio drama style, and it's getting ready to end. So he's very excited to pick up Welcome to Night Vale. Um, we got a new follower in the form of Austin Lucari, who you might know if you bothered to listen to me on... Uh, former co-host Caleb Masters cast beyond the wall uh, Austin Lucari is one of his cohorts over there where they talk about Game of Thronesy and type stuffs and I did one time and you should go listen to that because you like hearing my dulcet tones uh, but Austin Lucari started following us uh, so thank you Austin and if you haven't go check out the back catalog of the cast beyond the wall it was um, it's a good show I listened to every episode and I was on one and I, I really enjoyed uh, getting a little a little bit of what we do here uh, but for um, Game of Thrones, they also do a full like episode walkthrough talking about the shocking plot reveals and all the good stuff. But they do a little bit of the kind of analysis we do here. And that's all the feedback we have this week. So, uh, on Twitter, at any rate. Well, we don't have a whole lot of feedback coming in from the Facebook. You can find us at www.facebook.com forward slash good trash genrecast. That's one word. And uh, there's not a whole lot going in because Arthur Gordon has been on the Mirror Space Station. 
for the last uh, three weeks. And, and normally he rouses up all that good Facebook feedback that we get. And so there's not a whole lot there that's been made available to us. Of course, we're available in lots of other ways for the conversation to keep going. We're on Tumblr, goodtrashgenrecast.tumblr.com. You can listen to us at Stitcher Internet Radio. You can subscribe to us at iTunes. If you give us a review, if you actually write a review on the iTunes, we will read it on air in its entirety, especially if it's unkind. And so we are uh, big fans of all of that. Also, uh, we are available uh, on Podbean itself, our host site. And there is a social media sort of function to the site. You can create a profile of your own and follow a lot of your favorite podcasts. There are several other Oklahoma area podcasts that we follow there, and they would be available to you from that locale. So do find us there. Send us an email, which is going to be goodtrashgenrecast at gmail. Dot com. It's very important you put the prepositions in the proper places. Yes, Elsewise, folks get confused. Those will also be read into their, in their entirety unless you write us a novel, and then, come on, man, you've got better things to do with your time. And so, again, we would, and we still continue our request just to get some additional information about you all. We are looking at some statistics that are now kind of geographically located on the Podbean, and so we know where a great number of our listeners are coming. We have a huge amount of listeners coming out of the state of Maryland and also California, and so we'd be just curious to hear why it is you found the show, what it is you like about the show, and just what city are you from there in those places? And, of course, there are several of you from many other states in our fine country, and we would be happy to hear your city and but state But really as a well. strangely large concentration in Maryland. It is bizarre. <clears throat> I find it unusual, and I want, to, I want an explanation. I want to know why. Also, worldwide, we love you, dear listener. Thank you so much for listening so often from Sweden, Singapore, and the Russian Federation. That is strange. And, of course, most of you are coming from France. I don't know why. Movies. 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 Yeah, that checks out. The France is the least surprising to me. Singapore is the one that makes me go, do it. Yeah. So, we'd love to hear your, oh, by the way, your location in those places. Since last episode, I still don't know what they speak in Singapore. <laughs> and furthermore, we're not going to read that stuff on the air. We just kind of want to know yeah. who you are. And Unless you, you want us to. And then let us know and we'll make sure we do so. If you tell us not to, of course, we will respect your wishes but guys, yeah. look at, I'm looking at my watch. I did too. You know what time it is? I do. It's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> this week's game is sequels. We're talking, we're basically talking about what kind of sequels we would want to recommend that are perhaps superior to the originals or at least major gear shifts compared to that first film. Much like Aliens is a total, um, really a 180 from Alien. I mean, Aliens still has a lot of um, horror DNA to it, but it is not the slasher film in space that uh, Alien is by any stretch of the imagination. It is a much different film. Uh, And really, we could have done this last week with The Dark Knight, which, I mean, yes, is a proper direct sequel uh, with the same, you know, creative, the exact same creative team that Batman Begins had. But it's a totally different film in many, many, many ways. So we could have done this last week, but uh, I feel like this week's a good time to do it because Aliens is famous for changing the formula that Alien introduced. As Alien was a basic haunted house story in space, Aliens is clearly a... It's a, it's a war film. It's, a, it's an action mm-hmm. war film. And so there's a, there's a definite tonal switch. And so that's not a, sort of a, the fodder for our thought in moving forward. So I begin with you, Mr. Donald Stewart. What are your picks? Well, the first thing I thought about was much like... Uh, it was another universe connected to the Alien universe, and that's the Predator universe. But I um, thought... I didn't think of Predator 2 because uh, that's a 
bad movie. But it's a war movie to a cop movie, so it's a good pick. Yeah, but I thought about Predators. Mm-hmm. But yes, Predator 2 is interesting just because, well, let's put it in the concrete jungle, which is just a cool idea. Uh, but Predators I, I like because mostly nobody bothered to see it, but I also like it uh, because it does something that I find very interesting, whereas with the original Predator and Predator 2, we, we have really non-ambiguously good uh, protagonists. Um, even in Predator, we get these very macho, military-type guys, but they're portrayed as basically good. Uh, although, really, they're on a black ops mission in South America. How good can they be? Uh, but Predators doesn't play around with that. It gives you protagonists that are probably just as bad as the evil aliens hunting them for sport. Uh, there are hitmen and assassins and mercenaries and serial killers and drug cartel, uh, you know, gunmen. They're all bad guys. They're all really bad. So it's kind of this interesting idea of, you know, taking these dangerous people that the, the predators always choose to hunt, but making them very morally questionable. Um, and that's something I find interesting. And just in terms of structure and plotting, it's, it's very different than the other two Predator films. And also Lawrence Fishburne shows up, and I mean, come on. Morpheus is, uh, always makes for good times. Um, secondly, I thought of Dawn of the Dead, which uh, the George Romero original, which is such a, a step in another direction from Night of the Living Dead. I mean, I, I, man, you wouldn't even know that they're connected. You, I mean, other than the similar titles, if you didn't know they're directed from by the same guy, you would have no clue because they're totally different films about totally different things. And uh, I, I mean, uh, spoiler alert: I'm sure you're not surprised by this in the least. I love Dawn of the Dead. Um, I might have mentioned on the show before that I kind of like the remake as much, maybe a little bit more on some days than I like the original. We've talked about this before, though, so I'm not going to get into it right now. But I love the original Dawn of the Dead, uh, and I think it's a far superior film than Night of the Living Dead. Um, so I, I, His I, face right now. He always gets, yeah, he, he makes bad faces at me when I say things he doesn't like. You heard me, Dawn of the Dead's better than Night of the Living Dead. Um, or at least I think it's not fair. That's what I'm saying. Oh, it was the other thing. Yeah, I said. The, the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead is really good. It's so good. We'll talk about it off air. I like it. Oh, no, we won't. I like it because it's more of a character piece. Um, it doesn't have any of the awesome, um, you know, socio-political things that uh, the original Dawn of the Dead has going for it. Not by a long shot. But I think it's a really interesting character piece, and um, I think that the original Dawn of the Dead doesn't have any of that kind of stuff going on. So, take that for what it's worth. But, but anyway, Dawn of the Dead is such a gear shift from Night of the Living Dead that I think it fits perfectly in this, both in terms of, of the violence, of the interest, and in, uh, in different issues and themes. So I, I think you should definitely check that out. Finally, it's something that comes up a lot on the show, but the hell with it, it fits with the game, so I'm going to say it anyway. Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Because, man, it's such a tonal shift from Star Wars, and such a really... I mean, yeah, there's still fun, rompy space operas, but... I, Empire is dark and bleak. To, to quote um, Dante and Clerks, which we've talked about on the show before, it's just such a town ending. It is probably the bleakest, like, quote, family adventure film ever, and I love it. I love it. So those are my picks for this game. Well, those are good picks. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon. All right. What are your picks? Sequels that deviate. Well, I have a, I've made a couple lists. I brainstormed some. He was inspiring me. Um, I got inspired while we were in the text chat this afternoon. Um, I think a slight gear shift would be Indiana Jones uh, in the Temple of Doom from the main series. I, I love the totally I love so the Indiana Jones different. franchise so much. It's one of my favorite film series. 
Um, we, I mean, four is whatever it is, but Didn't two, happen. yeah, right. Um, two is just, I mean, mm-hmm. for one, I never watch it, and I love Indiana Jones. And the second thing, it just, I mean, the heroine's not smart, so and there's weird. the the side, the shorty sidekick, kid oh, sidekick, man. and the, I mean, it really, I mean, and it's so much more gear racist shit. than the other yes, ones. Yes, and. I'd say that maybe even increase of just like gross out moments. Like I just it discovered like a, a fake blood shooting gun and just like chah, 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 you know. I don't know if there's a lot of I'm trying to remember in Last Crusade, but I know for sure in Raiders, there's I mean the gross out moments is the Nazis melting, but I mean that's a big thing. But I really can't remember another one that's yeah, the end of the like movie, that. Yeah. You know, intense. The first act of the movie has this just. Ex- the, the dining scene is Let's so eat monkey brain. Let's grab your heart. It's so lengthy and so racist. Yeah. Well, what, what Temple of Doom is, is Steven Spielberg's PG-13 Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino film. That's what it is. Snap. And it's not very good. No. I love Tarantino. And he likes Spielberg. And I like Spielberg. But that's what he's trying to do. Right. In, like, time travel. In time traveling, in a time traveling sort of way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, there might be something to that. I don't know. Right. Um, I would say that maybe another sequel that deviated, and it's been a long time since I've seen these, but uh, Tron to Tron Two. I know Tron. It's like a very different time periods, you know, because Jeff Bridges is so young in the first one, and now he's basically the dude from the Big he's Lebowski. He's the dude forever. Um, uh, Obi Dude Kenobi. Yeah. Yeah. In the second one, obviously the graphics are far superior, but it's been so long since I've seen the first Tron that I don't even know, remember if the tones are even aligned. I think there was like a lot of stuff about corporate whatever in the first Tron, but it's been a cool minute. Tron Lacey's not a good movie, but I think, yeah, I'm just in terms of alone the effects. Yeah, oh yeah, the oh, effects. And I it's mean, interesting, I think gorgeous. what's interesting, um, I don't know if you thought about this at all, was that... I mean, Tron was, even at the time, really kind of a culty movie. Like, I don't think anybody thought it would be a hit. Tron Legacy was marketed as a big movie. Yes, it was. Yeah, so I, I think that's an interesting change, you know, in a, right. in, a in the real world, if, if not the film itself. Totally. And, of course, there's Super Mario Brothers 2, a video game that deviates greatly <laughs> from the rest of the whole series. Oh, my word, yes. Oh, my God. I mean, it was... Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to remember... Definitely. What, it was basically a reskin of a game that was popular in Japan, but I can't remember what that game was called, but then they put it yeah. in oh Super Mario yeah. Brothers. Yeah, the franchise. Most definitely. Um, and not to... <laughs> That's not, a really deep cut pick. Good I job. like that yeah. pick. And not to beat a dead horse, but I love Harry Potter in the third <laughs> Harry Potter movie. That's a tonal shift if I've ever seen one. Most, oh, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it I feel like it really enhances the rest of the series that is built off of that. You should watch that. Listen to the Harry Potter episode if you're interested. We, in we, it was a good show. Yeah, this is fun. A good time was had by all. Thank you so much, Miss Bohannon. Uh, what I would want to say with regard to this game is the first pick is quite obvious to me, and I had to call dibs on it as soon as we announced the game because I always go last. And so sometimes the good picks go away. Evil Dead 2. Oh, yeah, definitely. To Evil Dead. <laughs> because there are there is humor. There is humor in the first Evil Dead film, but it's black. It, yeah. It's dark black and it's mm-hmm. gallows. You're not laughing at Evil Dead 1 if you're not a horror fan. 
Right, that's fair. I think you're absolutely right. And I think anybody can laugh at Evil Dead 2. And the, the point was to laugh yeah, at for Evil sure. Dead 2. And so, it, again, it's sort of a retread at also uh, of the first film. My most, much rather, of the film is is retelling in slightly different, slightly slightly changed ways uh, the, first, the original. In addition, I want to go into a further horror territory and talk a little bit about the Freddy Krueger sequel. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just saying. Freddy Krueger, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Revenge. Colin Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Is another movie. I mean, it, it's actually a standout from the rest of the, the entire The entire franchise, of yeah. The franchise. Man. Which also brings to mind Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Man. Now, initially, John Carpenter intended Halloween to be this sort of uh, portmanteau, the sort of... Twilight Zoney. Twilight Zoney set of films that would be things that happened on Halloween, but there would not be any sort of continuity between them. But they made a Halloween 1, got roped into making a Halloween 2 that was a continuity sequel, and then they tried the thing. If they'd gone ahead and tried the thing with 2, I think he could have gotten away with it, yeah. It might have worked, and it might have been brilliant. But the way it is, and as it stands, and as you see Halloween 4, you realize they lost their minds for a minute. That, and there's a terrible video game song. But we don't need to spend I was just going to say Halloween 3 is absolute garbage, so... It's not very shiny. It's a terrible movie. It's awful. And it's got that one old Irish guy that always plays a creepster from... The one from The Burbs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he always plays a creepy guy. Lastly, I want us to just mention, because it's amazing, is The Godfather Part Two. It is oh, not this yeah. massive shift, but instead of t- telling the sort of chronological story from the 40s and the 50s of Michael Corleone's descent into uh, basically depravity as he uh, is, is, is sucked in by his family's uh, mafia ties and history, you also tell this origin story of his father, Vito Corleone, who died in the first film. Spoilers! And, uh, you know, always, always... Leave the gun, take the cannoli. Words to live by, that's all I'm saying. But what happens then in the way the film's told, it is it's sort of back and forth sort of flashes where you see one character sort of being drawn in into this sort of life, and then you see his uh, second generation son being further, um, further brought low by that. And, and it's a really, I mean, tonally and structurally and narrative-wise, it's a big shift. And honestly... It might be better than the first. I can't decide. I don't think that's a... I mean, I really don't think that's an unpopular or uncommon opinion. Mm-hmm. So you're entitled to that. Questions that I can't believe has never come up on the 80th. By the way, this is episode 80. <gasps> oh, happy birthday. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. Um, Dustin, who's the better actor, Pacino or De Niro? De Niro. Yeah, I totally agree. So you're okay. <laughs> I, I, I felt just, like you were setting him up somehow. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was just curious. It's hard to pick. It's hard to pick. I, I think De Niro's body of work um, is... I'd furthermore say Brando's better than Pacino. Mm-hmm. I, I think Pacino got crappy quicker than De Niro got crappy. And De Niro's great into the early 90s with And Kate Brando's Peter. gold and everything except for like the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, God. With Val Kilmer. That's that right. Oh, mistake. not a good movie. But, uh, yeah, Pacino, I mean, think about how early his career kind of went sideways. De Niro stayed good through the 90s, pretty much. I mean, Goodfellas, uh, Cape Fear, Raging Casino. Bull. Casino. Casino, yeah. He's great in Casino. I haven't seen Casino, but I'm agreeing with you based on what other people have told me. 
It's 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 Goodfellas in a, in a casino. I just haven't got around to it yet. Robert De Niro is great in a cameo bit role in American Hustle. Yes, he is. Playing, oh yeah, playing the same character he played most Marty Scorsese movies. Because David O. Russell wanted to make it very clear he was making a Scorsese film, he put De Niro in there for a little bit. Thank God for me. Hmm. <laughs> Next time something bad happens, listener, blame it on the other person and say thank God for me. It's the best thing I got out of American Hustle. Yeah. Well, outstanding, guys. That was some fun game play uh, with sequels. Dear listener, if you've had any suggestions about sequels that you find to either exceed or radically change direction from their originals, we would love to hear that feedback via those various and sundry means of social media. But let's move on, and let's do what we always do to conclude the show. Let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, are you fired up this week? Oh, I'm so fired up. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Oh, man. So if you follow me on Twitter... I'm a little sorry because I've been tweeting about the I'm I've been tweeting about the Dota 2 International for about maybe like three or four weeks. Break it down and explain. Okay, okay sorry. That's defense of the defense of the ancients. ancients uh, it's a game. It's okay. It's like League of Legends. It's a a MOBA. It's a. If if you care, you already know what Dota. Right. Is. So yeah. <laughs> it's basically okay. Here I can break it down in terms that you'll even understand, Mister. Gotta uh, break it down Crayola style for me. Basically, I won't go into anything of the gameplay, but just know that it is the highest grossing tournament, $10 million prize pool, to be divided up against, you know, the people who play in whatever place. But the winner will at least get $4 million, and that exceeds the original prize pool of last year's contest by 100 no, or is it 1,000%? I'm it, bad at math. It's, it's like one of the most competitive games there is. Yes, it's... You know. it's International, it's very exciting. Korea loves it. So yes. it's like fantasy football for video games. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's lots of stats. So that, yeah, it's basically it sense. is the it is esports. It is pretty much yeah, I, other than Call of Duty. It's pretty much in terms of games being esporty and like people actually caring what other people are doing on teams, it. professional teams, sponsorships. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it is it, it is a little I esports. Don't, I don't get it. I play video games to get away from other people, so I don't understand it at all. Yeah, it makes you learn teamwork skills and you may Nonsense. not want to learn them. <laughs> but that is what's got me fired up in pop culture and I would say, let's see if there's anything else. I don't think so. That's basically I've been watching. It seems all consuming for you, right? right now. It is because I've just been watching the streams or the replays, and then the commentators. Oh yeah, it's it's a sport. There are commentators. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 a big deal. Okay. For people that are not. This is like when I found out when I was playing men's league softball, mm-hmm. that I found out that there were actually sort of professional teams with sponsorships to play softball, slow pitch softball. That that moment right then. It's sort of that moment right now. That's okay for me, and so I'm just I'm just kind of I'm marveling. I'm no, mar- I mean, I'm marveling ma- at it all. talk to me about it. Of me a year and a half ago, I would have been you straight up, but hmm. I got I got bitten again. I don't get it, but that's because when I play video games, you know, I lock my door, close the shades, and start chain smoking, and it's just it's just sad and lonely and beautiful. <laughs> It's 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 like uh, it's like every scene where it's like Taxi Driver, but instead I'm playing video games. I just want to be left alone. That was a bad analogy. Yes, it is. Yeah, I don't. Sh- I don't <laughs> shave. I don't shave my head and write about how broken the world is. That it doesn't end in bloodshed. No. Well, it does for the digital characters. There mm. you go. There is something there. Well, Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up equally this week in pop culture? Oh, quite a fair bit. Um, 
frequent loyal listeners will remember many months ago, back before Caleb Masters left us for the deserts of Arizona, he told us about a little series on HBO called The Leftovers, which is uh, based on a novel of the same name, developed by the novel's author and Damon Lindelof. Basically, the gist of it is, is 2% of the world's population disappears in a rapture-like event. I say rapture-like because there is no rhyme or reason or logic as to who or why or what disappears. That's right. It's a secular rapture. Yeah. So, like, 150 million people all over the globe, whatever 2% of 7 billion is, uh, in, basically equal, lot. Uh, in basically equal distributions in every country on the planet, disappear. Just poof. Just like that. Uh, and then it cuts to three years later, and you see how people are going on about their lives. Don't be crazy. It's it's bleak, and meditative, and existential, and, and I love it. 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 Check it out. Uh, another premium cable TV series that I just got cut up with. Uh, in about two or three days, I watched all of the first season um, of Penny Dreadful, which just ended. Oh, yeah. Yes. Good show, right? Oh, yeah. very good show. Uh, basically, it's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. If that movie didn't suck. Um, you would love it. I can't yeah, believe you haven't seen it. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, if you're not familiar, was a Alan Moore series. It was a Victorian fiction mashup. And basically, it's that, but only horror stuff. So, Victor so Fra- better. Victor but, but it's about there. Vampires are there. Werewolves are there. It's novels. Dracula. Dorian Gray. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm in. Then. Yeah. 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 You'd love it. And Josh Hartnett, Ava Green, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Yeah. All team up to go hunt vampires. Oh, and Billy Piper. Yeah, right. You had me at Ava Green. That's why I started watching the show. I'm not kidding. I love her. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, it's awesome though. It's so good. It's campy, but it's really it takes itself just serious enough and i like it a lot i think it's yeah, really a great show it's great. finally uh this weekend i checked out the new dawn of the planet of the apes um you know if you don't i don't know if i've talked about this on the show or not i really liked rise of the planet of the apes because i wasn't expecting anything dawn of the planet of the apes just uh, even further exceeds my expectations for a franchise oh. that you wouldn't think would be any good uh, because really every planet of the apes movie except the original planet of the apes movie was pretty terrible um, and until they rebooted it, and it just seemed like the most random choice for a reboot slash prequel. Um, that you, I, I, I don't know why they thought it would make money, and it did, and it was good. And Dawn is even better. See our podcast review of the original Planet of the Apes uh, with Charlton Heston um, back in the archive. That was a good show. That's not that once a couple months. That was a good show. Been a minute. Um, but man, I really like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, of the Planet of the Apes. Whew, that's a hard title. Mouthful. Um, and not for all these things about family and, and the problems of building a society and cycles of violence and cycles of war and how violence only begets more violence. Outside of all of that really interesting stuff going on and some allusions to Shakespearean literature in the way of Caesar, um, outside of all that cool stuff, there are chimps on horseback dual-wielding machine guns. What more do you want out of your Dang. life? It's so good. Everything yeah. looks more amazing on horseback. Yeah, always. And that's what's got me fired up this week in Popular Mechanics. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also fired up. One of the things I'm fired up about is Guillermo del Toro's The Strain television the Strain. series. Oh, uh, yes. I've actually seen the first 
four episodes, dear listener. No, you can't watch them. Um, we got an FX screener, Caleb Masters and I did, because we're going to be presenting a podcast like a real deal, sort of semi-professional, a lot like this DIY punk stuff that we do, uh, uh, about uh, review and analysis of the show. Picture us all with studs and mohawks. That's, Continue. That's how I'm always dressed. And uh, we're going to be doing that, and w- the premiere just was aired last night, or yes, last night. Last night when we were recording, not when you are listening. Correct. Because it'll be a minute till I edit this mess. Nonetheless, uh, the strain—it it looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think the problem with the strain, and I'll probably say this on the show tomorrow night uh, when I record uh, for that, is that Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan's novel series were accepted wholesale as a series. They didn't make a pilot to present to kind of shop around to various networks. FX said, "You want to make something? Fine, we got it. We'll buy a whole series from you. Go." Because Guillermo ah. del Toro and the books were pretty popular, right? Absolutely. Which is which is a fine reason. There is this sort of sense in which it's just introductory in the pilot, and the, it's beautiful. What he does with light is gorgeous. It does that Guillermo del Toro meets Dario Argento thing that he always does, which is lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But it's um, the, the stakes don't seem to be very high for the film for the series as far point. as you are at this point yeah I mean it really is a basic introductory there's some bad stuff going on there's a great bit of Nosferatu slash Dracula reference going on early early on uh, that's just fantastic with how the vampire makes it to the location in which he is just like Dracula crossing um, on the ship to England so there's something like that that happens in the series but I'm worried at this point for the series because I, I know where it's going and I know it's got great, great possibilities, but I worry that it's not going to catch its audience fast enough. But we'll see. Is there anything else? Uh, the one other thing I'm fired up about, uh, currently available on Amazon for uh, to watch while it's in theory, theaters, and I have not seen it yet, but I recently heard a review of the film Snowpiercer starring the great, perhaps the greatest, Tilda Swinton. Swinton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was going to say Chris Evans and then realized that he's probably talking about Tilda Swinton. I'm not talking about Chris Evans. Uh, I like Chris Evans uh, a lot. Chris Evans. It's on Amazon Prime right now? It's on Amazon Prime to watch whilst in theaters. Freezies wow. for Prime members? New. Oh, okay. to, no, rent, of course. To, to rent. Well, that's good because that continues to actually have a reason for me to go see it later this week. Because I'm fired up about that next week. Yeah. Okay. Good. I want to hear what you say about I, yeah, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. But the idea is, and it's sort of Karl Marx meets Groucho Marx on a train. And it uh, sounds like lots and lots and lots of fun. And it's, yeah, Karl Marx meets the Marx Brothers meets the Wachowski Brothers. Yeah, something, yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. Punchy punches happen and commentaries. But I heard some review stuff on the Film Talks, and I want to go in and plug those It's quite in. popular right now. And uh, amongst, I think it amongst should... Amongst our ilk. It should be watched. And if you don't want to catch it right now, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a free Prime slash Netflix stream uh, very, Eventually. very soon. So, those are the things that got me fired up this week. Thank you so much, guys, for what you have to say about pop culture right now. And thank you so much, dear listener, for listening to us up to this point. We can all keep the conversation going via social media, personally on the Twitter. Alex, where are you at? I can be found on Twitter at Alex V Books. And As that's in your about fighting it. books. That is one interpretation I have never that's heard. That's what I always before. assumed. I assumed you were fighting books. It's just my middle name starts with a V. Oh, okay. But I like that. But why would I fight books? Okay, sorry. 
Moving forward. We're wrestling with it. I, I, wrestling in a positive sense. Yes, exactly. I like it very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, where are you found? I can be found on Twitter at Dal underscore Stew, as in the first two syllables of my names, or also, you know, a hearty dish uh, made of broth and uh, plastic toys. You can find me on Letterboxd. Uh, you know, I keep telling you, and I don't see any more of you on there um, following me. But Letterbox is great. It's social media for film nerds. You get to write reviews about movies and catalog your viewing history, and it tells you how many movies you've watched this year. Uh, for those of you who might remember me, Dustin, and Arthur are in a competition for who will watch the most films in 2014. Guess what? I am losing badly. I'm at like 80. What are you at? Like 300? I gave up. I, 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 just, I went ahead and accepted victory and just stopped the Yeah, I could watch it. I, I probably won't win. Like, Even if he just doesn't catalog another movie for the rest of the year, I'll probably still lose. But uh, Letterboxd is a lot of fun, so you should do that. And I'm there, um, letterboxd.com slash Dalton underscore Stewart, I think. I'm also on Letterboxd. That's my name, Dustin Sells. I'm also on Tumblr. iProtein is my name on the Tumblr. And, of course, Twitter, at Dustin underscore Sells. That's S-E-L-L-S, just like he sells seashells by the seashore. And would love to have the conversation continue with you all next week, dear listener. We've done a movie from the 20 aunts. We've done a movie from the 90s. We've done a movie from the 80s. Next week, we're going to do a movie from the 70s. And it's Nin- another big movie. It's a summer movie. It's a blockbuster. It's probably the biggest. It's it's the starter of it all. It began the blockbusters. Don't go in the waters, dear listeners, because we are going to be watching Jaws. Done it. All right. Well, that's what we're doing next week. So watch that. Enjoy. Yes. Talk about it with somebody. Absolutely, because that's what this is all about. This is about the conversations you can have about what the movies actually mean. Not just spending 90 minutes consuming caffeinated, sugary, high fructose corn syrup beverages and popcorn. And then getting in a fight about whether or not uh, Ferris Bueller is a figment of Cameron's imagination. But rather, talking about how life imitates art and vice versa, and how we can lead more meaningful and fulfilling and satisfying lives. That's what the conversation about the movie is all about. So have that in the meantime. And until then, we'll see you next time. Oh,